Listen all month as ReachMD XM157 explores The Great Debate, a special series discussing the future of public health policy in America. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Methicillin resistant strains of Staph aureus are not new, but hospital acquired MRSA has gone up more than 20% from 1992 to 2003 in the CDC statistics. Are we aggressive enough in our response, or do the numbers speak for themselves? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Donald Goldman. He is Senior Vice President at the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. His career in clinical infectious diseases and epidemiology with a focus on hospital-acquired infections spans more than three decades. He remains on the Children's Hospital clinical staff at Children's Hospital Boston. He is Professor of Pediatrics at Harvard Medical School, and he's Professor of Immunology and Infectious Diseases at the Harvard School of Public Health. Today, we're discussing hospital-acquired MRSA. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us today, Dr. Goldman. We know you're very busy. Fine. I'm happy to join you. You studied antibiotic resistance for over 20 years. What is different about the epidemiology of this strain of MRSA that's spreading from the community to the hospitals? Well, there are two different strains, of course. One of them is a truly community-acquired strain, which is distinct in many ways from the MRSA that's spreading in hospitals and also in chronic care facilities. So right from the start, we really should distinguish those two types of MRSA. Is there any relationship between these outbreaks and our use of antibiotics? There's different schools of thought on that. You know, it's undoubtedly uh, true that antibiotics play a role in the development of antibiotic-resistant organisms. They're, they're not, in general, springing to life uh, out of the blue. So in the largest sense, every time we prescribe antibiotics, we're creating a selective pressure that allows any antibiotic-resistant strains that do exist, be they in the community or the hospital, to find a favorable milieu in which to spread. In some cases, antibiotics in and of themselves generate mutations in bacteria. Bacteria trying to stay alive and thrive will mutate and become resistant to antibiotics. In the case of MRSA, what's happening now is more likely due to two factors. And the more important of those factors is the person-to-person spread of the organism. Uh, and then antibiotics uh, are probably playing a secondary role for MRSA at this point. Isn't it true that unlike some outbreaks in the past, we're finding that the population that's sensitive is not necessarily immunosuppressed or not expected to be affected by this strain for another reason? Well, let's talk about the strain that is associated with healthcare for now. And it's absolutely the case that if you are elderly and have uh, chronic disease or immunosuppression or cancer, you're at higher risk. And the same is true if you happen to be a, a tiny premature baby. But in between that, uh, anyone who's in the hospital, especially if they have uh, invasive devices like a ventilator or a uh, intravenous or intraarterial catheter, are going to be at risk. So I'd rather not be very old and very sick and very immunosuppressed, but if I had an IV catheter or was on a ventilator, uh, I'd worry as well. So why has hospital-acquired, and we realize there's two different strains, but the hospital-acquired MRSA gone up? from less than 40% in 92 to more than 60% in 2003, according to the CDC? First of all, let's just remember that the 203 data already is old, and we actually don't know what's happened to that trend in the last year or two. But uh, let's put that aside for a second and remember that we went from zero to the 40% before we went from the 40 to the 60. 
So uh, the problem we have is that the transmission of MRSA is largely uh, on the hands of healthcare providers, especially in areas of the hospital where there's a lot of uh, opportunities for healthcare providers to interact with a number of patients. And we know that uh, adherence to really basic infection control procedures like hand hygiene or isolation precautions just has been suboptimal throughout the last two to three decades. You know, my wife, every time she hears me giving an interview about MRSA, says you're still talking about hand hygiene after 30 years. What, what's the problem? Why can't you guys get it right? And the awful truth of the matter is that over the years you're talking about, uh, performance in U.S. hospitals remained uh, unacceptable. So we're just not doing it. Well, we weren't. I'm hopeful that in the last year, especially year two, the heightened awareness of just how bad the problem is and a new optimism about what we can do to improve care in hospitals is starting to change a paradigm. Of all the things I'm going to say, this is probably the most important. Ten years ago or 15 years ago, if you'd asked me, is it possible to virtually eliminate, let's say, catheter-related bloodstream infections in ICUs, I would have said that's impossible. The patients are too sick. There's nothing we can do to make those dramatic improvements. Now we know that a number of hospitals have gone to near zero for catheter-related back to bloodstream infections. In the Keystone Project in Michigan, the median rate of catheter-related bloodstream infections was zero after just uh, about a half a year. So we now know that if you practice evidence-based care, you can make astounding improvements. So I'm, I'm more optimistic than I was. Could you comment on vancomycin resistance? Sure. Uh, as you uh, undoubtedly know, there have been reports of MRSA that are also highly resistant to vancomycin. So far, those strains have been relatively few in the numbers. In numbers, you can count them on your hand. But it remains a threat. The resistance is plasmid-mediated. It could easily spread among MRSA. Uh, so far, we, we haven't just seen it take off the way MRSA itself has, but obviously need to be extremely vigilant. Fortunately, the pipeline for anti-staphylococcal antibiotics is not totally dry. We have other drugs, new glycopeptide derivatives, as well as drugs like linazolid and others that are also effective. So the quiver isn't exactly empty of arrows quite yet, but it's obviously a dangerous situation. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on Reach MDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm speaking today with Dr. Donald Goldman, and we're discussing nosocomial MRSA and the response from American hospitals. You think we're at fault for not being more aggressive in monitoring and stopping some of these hospital-wide epidemics? Well, if we just focus on MRSA, there's no question that it spread in many hospitals under the radar and that more aggressive attempts to monitor just how prevalent MRSA is are warranted. Uh, that said, we're doing even less to monitor some other very dangerous organisms. I'll just put in a plug here for not losing sight of the gram-negatives like Pseudomonas and Acinetobacter and Klebsiella and other organisms that are resistant to third and fourth generation cephalosporins and carbapenem antibiotics. We don't have any drugs in the pipeline for those pathogens. I personally had a patient die of unremitting bloodstream infection due to a Burkholderia that was resistant to all known and experimental antibiotics. So if we focus only on MRSA and don't keep our sights on these other very dangerous organisms, we're going to end up with problems that will be in a way scarier than MRSA because there are no drugs to treat them.
What can you say when you compare the the hospital-wide systems in countries like Denmark and the Netherlands, where, as you said, they have zero tolerance. They're relentless in feeling that these infections can be obliterated, and they work toward that goal, and they don't accept a small percentage. What are some of the things that we're doing wrong, aside from hand-washing? Well, you know, if you look at, uh, let's say, the Netherlands uh, or Denmark, it's not clear what went on when they had a blip in MRSA infections and then got down to near zero. But For the present time, it's much, much easier to be extremely rigorous in everything you do and intolerant of any problem whatsoever when you're starting near zero. You don't have 30% of the patients in your ICU or 20% colonized with antibiotic-resistant organisms. You don't have staff personnel going around with MRSA in their nose because there are no MRSA in the ward. So it's much easier to stay at zero than it is to take a highly endemic situation or you might even say epidemic situation Mm -hmm. and try and beat it down with a club. It's much more expensive, much more difficult. It takes a fairly long time. That said, some of the principles used in the Netherlands are good principles. The idea is that you have zero tolerance and you put a great emphasis on preventing the spread from patient to patient. What you don't do, I'll I'll say, is I don't think you need to screen all your healthcare workers for nasal colonization with staff. I, I don't think that's been shown to be effective or cost-effective in an endemic situation. Will we eradicate MRSA in this decade? Well, eradicate is an epidemiologic term that we apply to things like smallpox, where there's no case left in the world. So we're not going to eradicate it. Uh, Can we make a substantial improvement in MRSA in hospitals? Absolutely. I think the basic change concepts for dramatically improving our control of MRSA in hospitals are in place, and they have to do with hand hygiene, contact precautions, environmental cleaning, and absolutely fastidious care of central venous catheters and ventilators. We did all those things well. I'm quite sure that we'd see a dramatic improvement. Uh, I hope we'll get to talk about the community because as MRSA spreads in the community, it's kind of another enemy at the gates pounding on the door of the hospital, and we're going to have to be very, very attuned to that. Will we go to a vaccine? Do you think that's indicated? Well, you know, I work on staphylococcal vaccines. Uh, I'm not the lab guy. I'm the epidemiologist. But there are some candidate vaccines out there. But so far, you know, the, the ones that have come along have been very disappointing. And it's clear that we have a way to go before we have a, a effective vaccine for staph. What's your advice to board members who are in charge of running a hospitals in the United States regarding infection control? It seems like, as you referenced, when it hit the community and it hit the news media, I mean, you can't turn on the TV at night, but they're not talking about the community-acquired strain of MRSA. Should it have been gotten the attention prior to this, and is this going to have an impact now on people that can actually make decisions and implement change? Well, in general, boards of trustees have not been attuned to the quality improvement uh, issues in their hospitals, let alone infection control. They've been more concerned with the bottom line. They're very heterogeneous. They don't bring patients to the boardroom who have suffered the consequences of these infections so they can understand what's going on. That's actually changing. The the IHI has a very vigorous program to get boards on board, as we say. And one of the things that the board ought to be looking at is the rate of infection in their hospital, especially the ones we know we can reduce, like the catheter-related bloodstream infections and ventilator pneumonias. And yes, I would ask if I were on the board, what is our rate of MRSA and what are you doing about it? I would expect to hear progress and to be able to set a target for reduction. We're almost out of time, but can you say a few words about the work of IHI? Because I think that's very important and we only touched on it. Sure. Well, in relationship to the subject today, we do have a national campaign called the 5 Million Lives Campaign. The goal is to reduce the number of harms 
associated with hospital care uh, by five million over a period of not quite two years. And among those harms are MRSA infections, catheter-related bloodstream infections, ventilator pneumonias, and surgical infections, all of which, by the way, can be caused by MRSA. And on our website, we have some guides that tell people how to get started, and we're trying to disseminate the message as broadly as we can. And I must say that there's a lot of enthusiasm. MRSA has been the topic of several free phone calls we posted, and it's been extremely popular. A lot of uh, hospital teams have been getting on those calls and uh, trying to make a dent in this problem. I want to thank Dr. Donald Goldman, who's been our guest. We've been discussing nosocomial MRSA and the response from American hospitals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions on this or any segment, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening to ReachMD XM157 and The Great Debate, a month-long special series and discussion on the future of public health policy in America.